وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And those people who disbelieve, بَعْضُهُمْ Some of them, أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ They are the friends of others. Meaning, the disbelievers are friends of one another, and when they have to fight against you, then they come together. They're united. So, when they're united against you, they forget about their mutual disputes and conflicts. When they have to come against you, then what should you do? What should you do? Say that, oh, she's an Arab and she's a Somali and she's a Pakistani, so I'm not sitting with them and I'm not working with them. Yeah? You should be divided. If they are united against you, they forget their differences when they are against you, then what should you do? You should also be united. You should forget your differences. Because remember, muhajireen, ansar, huge difference between them. Alright? But when they went for Badr, they forgot their differences. They were together. Awliya. Awliya. They were friends. They came together. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, look, the enemy also came together. So you better continue this. You better stay together. You better be united. And get over your worldly differences. That so-and-so is from this tribe and so-and-so speaks this language. Get over these minor differences. You have to be united. But unfortunately, we Muslims are not united. We are not united. We are very much divided. And it is this division, this division that is destroying us, that has destroyed us before, and it is destroying us still today. Whether it is within a family, or an Islamic organization, whatever it may be. When Muslims come together, and our hearts are divided, we're not together, we have hidden grudges, hidden enmities, then we cannot move forward. We cannot move forward at all. We are prevented from moving forward because of these biases. Because what happens? It becomes a power struggle. Each person wants to be better than the other, wants to go forward. And there's khiyana, there's lies. And we cannot prosper. So our goal should be on what? The glory of Islam and not self-glory. Not self-glorification. When the focus is on self-glorification, that I should look better than this person, and I should have this position instead of the other person? And we Pakistanis should have a dominance and we Arabs should have dominance in this organization or uh, Somalis should? It becomes Somali versus Pakistani or versus this and versus that. Then we can't go far. We can't go far. And there's something that we really, really have to pay attention to. Because as much as we say that we are united and we're not racist, in our words we are. In the way that we treat each other, we are. When we don't greet someone just because of the color of their skin. When we don't give importance to them just because of their accent. When we look down on someone because of the way that they wear their hijab. We look down on someone because we say that they speak a different language. It's very important that we get over these differences. Look beyond them. Focus on the glory of Islam not self-glorification. We're not here to glorify a race, a tribe, a nation, a people. No, we're here to glorify Islam and its people. So we have to be united. Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ They are friends of each other. And we see this. Just a small example. If you go to like a secular organization, Many times you'll see this attitude in non-Muslims that they look beyond your 
religion and the color of your skin. Many people are like that. But we can still not get over the fact that she's Indian and she's Pakistani. And if she's Pakistani, she's from here and she's from there. And if she's Indian, she's from here, she's from there. Unfortunately, such statements are heard that are very hurtful. How could you say something about another Muslim sister? How could you say this about the imam? How could you say this about a person who's leading you? How can you? But people say these words. Because these biases are deeply rooted in our hearts. This racism is very, very common. As much as we try to say we're not racist, we are. We really are. The Prophet ﷺ abolished this racism. Remember Hajjatul Wada'a, his farewell pilgrimage. One of the things that he said was that no Arab has supremacy over a non-Arab. No white person is better than a black person. All are equal, right? If anyone has some greater level, that is because of what? Their iman, their piety, their taqwa. In the Quran also, what do we learn? That, وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلْ Why? لِتَعَرَفُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you into different tribes and nations that you can just recognize one another. It's for the purpose of recognition. Not that you boast and you think you're better than someone just because you come from a different place. إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ أَتْقَاكُمْ The one who is most pious of you is the one who has most rank in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the non-Muslims, they are united. They get over their differences. إِلَّا تَفْعَلُوهُ If you don't do it, then what will happen? Takun, it will be what will happen. Fitnatun fil ard. A great fitna on the earth. Great tribulation on the earth. Wafasadun kabir. And great corruption. Meaning if you don't come together and you don't become united, then what will happen? Great tribulations and great corruption. And do we see that? Of course. Because of this division in the Muslims, every time the Muslims have become divided, because of race, because of language, because of color, we see great tribulations, many lives are lost, many innocents are killed, and also great corruption. That there is no peace anywhere. No peace anywhere. And fasad, corruption, this involves many sin, lying and cheating and deceiving and making false promises and breaking them. Stabbing one another behind their backs. This has happened. Fasadun kabir. Illa taf'aluhu takun fitnatun fil ardi wa fasadun kabir. So what is necessary? That the way the Ansar and the Muhajirin came together, we also come together. And only when we come together can we live in peace. Can there be peace in this world? And if we don't get over these differences, then there can be no peace in the world. Because, let me give you the example of Pakistan. Okay, Pakistan, why was it formed? Why did the people gain that their independence? What's the reason? Yes? To have a home for the Muslims. Right? In the name of Islam. Right? The famous slogan, what does Pakistan mean? La ilaha illallah. Hmm? That Pakistan is all about Islam. But yet, are there divisions? 
I can tell you there are. So much so, that if there is a girl who has a darker skin color, people will say, oh no, no, no. We can't accept her. She has to be fair, she has to be tall, she has to be from this family, she has to have gone to this school, she has to be from this city. A country that was established in the name of Islam, where is that Islam? Nowhere to be seen, unfortunately. This is just one example. One country. And there are many examples where we do things in the name of religion. We start an organization in the name of religion. And what do we forget? The teachings of the religion. Allah tells us to come together. And what do we do? We're not together. Assalamu I was just sharing, I just remembered how I was looking to a view book for a university and another club section where the Muslim Student Association was listed. There are about seven or eight different Muslim associations. There was the Muslim Student Association, then there was a Pakistani Muslim Student Association, then there was the Ahmadiyya Muslim Student Association. And then I was just thinking there that for a non-Muslim who's viewing that and they want to learn about Islam, which student association would they go to? They'd be like, should I go to this one or that one? And that really shows a bad message from our part. Yes. And if this is happening in our schools, what's happening in the workplaces? Right? Imagine the disunity amongst the Muslims was so bad that just a little while ago, in Makkah, four, four jama'ah were established. One according to Hanafi fiqh, one according to Shafi'i fiqh, one according to Maliki fiqh, one according to Hanbali fiqh. Imagine. Four separate prayers were performed. For, so for example, Zuhr was performed how many times? Four times. So if you follow the Shafi'i fiqh, you will pray with the Shafi'i people. If you pray the Hanbali fiqh, you will pray according to the Hanbali fiqh, you will pray with the Hanbalis. This is the height of disunity. Imagine. This is how it used to happen. And then Alhamdulillah, with the blessing of Allah, it was eliminated. And now there is one Jama'ah. But sadly, these... Divisions are still in our hearts. They are. If you check yourself, they are. They really are. And it's important that we get rid of them. We look beyond them. When we look at a person, we don't just judge them immediately saying, because she's from this country, this is why. Definitely she has this and this and this and this problem. Yes, definitely people have certain characteristics, certain traits, but don't become judgmental and biased towards them because of those reasons. Understand them and learn how you can work with them. Don't become divided. Don't become biased towards others. So, إِلَّا تَفْعَلُوهُ تَكُنْ فِتْنَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَفَسَادٌ كَبِيرٌ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا And those people who believe وَهَاجَرُوا And they immigrate وَجَاهَدُوا And they strive فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ In the way of Allah وَالَّذِينَ آوَوْا And those who gave shelter وَنَصَرُوا And they helped أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ حَقَّا Those are the believers in truth. They are really believers. Their iman is such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes it. And for such people لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً For them is forgiveness وَرِسْقٌ كَرِيمٌ And a noble provision. So what do we learn here? Two types of people are mentioned. A, those who do hijrah, and B, those who help, those who help others. So muhajir, ansar. Right? And what is common between them? The fact that they together 
They come together, they're united, they struggle in the way of Allah, they help the religion of Allah, they defend the religion of Allah, all these characteristics are there. But mainly we see that they come from two backgrounds, either Muhajir or Ansari. For such people, there is forgiveness and noble provision, and such people, their iman is good. So if we want our iman to be good also, then we have to become one of these two. Either we do hijrah, or we become of those who help the religion. How can we apply this today? How can we become muhajir? Leave Canada and go to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> okay? That's how, that's what many people say. Leave Canada, go to Egypt, go to whatever country. But, what is hijrah? The Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Muhajiru man hajara an ma nahallahu an. The immigrant is the one who immigrates from that which Allah has forbidden him from. The immigrant is the one who migrates away from what Allah has forbidden him. So from a state of disobedience, he migrates and he moves to the state of obedience. He does hijrah from non-hijab to hijab. Isn't that hijrah? Has anyone had to go through that struggle of starting to wear hijab, meaning you didn't wear hijab until, since you were six years old? You know, many, many Muslims are like that, right? They start wearing hijab since the beginning. Everybody wears it in their family, so they don't even realize and they start wearing it regularly, and it's just normal for them. And we think, yeah, everybody should wear hijab like that. It's so easy. Why is it difficult? Covering your head is so easy. But ask those, ask the people, who have had to go through the struggle. It's really, really a hijrah. It's very, very difficult. So when a person migrates from a state of non-hijab to hijab, that is what? A hijrah. When a person migrates from the state of shaping their eyebrows to not shaping their eyebrows, believe me, it's a big struggle. We think, why is it so difficult? Leave it. Haram. Simple. No idea. And which is why we become so naive that we start looking down on people who are struggling through this. And we say, by the way, sister, you should stop it already. Don't you know it's forbidden? Do you understand how hard it is? Do you understand how hard it is to leave something that you've been doing for the past 10 years, something the way that people look at you always, and now you have to leave it. But when you leave it, you're doing what? Hijrah. And the rewards are out of this world. Literally. Assalamu alaikum. I would like to share my experience uh, leaving shaping eyebrows. I remember I used to go to... So was it a hijra? Yes, a huge one. <laughs> so um, I used to go to Halak and this sister, she saw me the first time she met me. And she told me, you know, Sheikha, this is not allowed in Islamically. She gave me the hadith. But I was like, oh, it's just a hadith. It's not in the Quran. So when I came here, to study the Quran, they mentioned do not shape uh, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we did also itibai sunnah. I said, subhanallah, I have to leave this. So it took me almost two years to leave it exactly. Yes. Now, alhamdulillah. Yes, I can imagine doing it again. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So it's literally a shift from one state to the other. It takes time, takes a lot of effort. But, you know, whenever we learn about something, that we have to leave it or we have to start doing something, make the niyyah. Make the niyyah, I am going to do hijrah from this sin. 
And if you make the niyyah, and you start moving towards that, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help, Allah will give you tawfiq. Allah will take you that far. You know, you can't go that far yourself. You can't. It's too difficult. You need someone to walk you through. To just pick you up and take you there. And you need Allah's help there. Yes. Assalamualaikum. Um, I just wanted to share that it's common during Ramadan to have Dore Quran. And about three years ago, in the tafsir, the slight tafsir that goes along with it, I remember there was a habit. I was into music a lot, and even though I knew that it was wrong, and I had a favorite band, and I tried so hard to just to leave. I was involved with like their fans, the forums, everything. And I tried so hard to leave and leave, and I knew I had to. But during that Dora Quran, I remember writing down, like, by this time next year, you know, just make the niyat. You, you have to, like, just forget about it. And Alhamdulillah, I didn't even realize I, that I was leaving it. But the next year when I was doing Dora Quran, I looked back at what I had written, and I realized, oh my God, I haven't been involved in that even like for so long and I didn't even consciously realize that I was leaving it but you make the niyat and you make the dua and Allah makes it easy for you and this is true when you make the intention to leave something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you trust on Him Ya Allah you take me out of this you pick me out of this you know I'm so deeply immersed in it that I can't even breathe so you need to take me out ask Allah and He will take you out and you won't even realize it. Yes. I really want to share my experience. Like, um, I was so fond of listening music, especially rap song and hard rock. <laughs> you don't look like it. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I was really so fond of, you know. So even like when I was doing my engineering in most of my notes, even I speed up my speed by writing songs. You know, about left... I don't want to discuss about these okay. people anymore. So, um, when I started, you know, doing this course, you know, one day I even discussed with Sister Tehmiya as well. May Allah give her rewards of, of, you know, that good advice. Whenever I go to some, like, shop and mall, whenever I listen to the songs, you know, I started repeating the words, right? You know, my kids said, like, Mom, you know this song? Mom, you know this song? <laughs> so, you know, that was, like, was... Now I started feeling, oh, this is not good. This is really not good. Now, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. I really get rid of, you know, I'm, I'm not listening anymore songs, you know. Alhamdulillah. 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 You see, when your heart is attached to something, when you enjoy doing something, like for example, listening to music, you enjoy it. It's even more difficult to leave it. But really, leaving that is hijrah. Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I feel like if you leave one thing, it kind of leads to another. Because I was talking to my friend the other day on the phone, and then she and I both had a problem with the music thing as well. And then she asked how I left it. And then I said, it just, I thought about it afterwards. I didn't really think about it before. And then I'm like, I kind of left it the same time I left watching shows, because mm-hmm. I was kind of addicted to that. So I guess I told her how when I watch my shows and I hear music in the background and I kind of like it, then I search it up who it's from, then I listen to it and then it leads to a band and then it leads Mm -hmm. to something else. And then I kind of stop through that and you don't really notice after. Yes. Yes. 
I also wanted to share my experience about listening music. I was too much into it that, uh, like, there were some uh, Pakistani singers, pop singers. I used to listen to their music, and the thing was, I used to live in Dubai, and over there it was hard to find uh, their albums. So I used to call my khala, okay, next day, uh, like this week, their music album will release, so I need the first copy. That's how I was, and there was a huge collection of their music. So alhamdulillah, then I started um, Quran and listening to the Quran in uh, voice of different Quran. So alhamdulillah, I left music. And after when I left music, after a year, the singer I used to listen a lot, like Junaid Jamshid, he left music. <laughs> alhamdulillah. So Allah's help also came, right? So anyway... If we want to be of those people whose iman Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes, if we want to be of those who are called ulaikahumul mu'minuna haqqa, then either we have to become a muhajir, or we have to become of the ansar. So who are the ansar? Those who help the deen. Those who help the people of the deen. Those who support them. Like for example, you personally might not have to struggle yourself in order to wear the hijab or in order to not do your eyebrows or listen to music because your home has always been such or your habits have always been such. So it's not a personal struggle for you. But there are people around you who are struggling. So what is your obligation then? That you say, well, it's their choice and let them do wrong. Or if they are still struggling, you keep looking down on them. What's your obligation? That you support them, you guide them, you help them, you encourage them, you motivate them. The support that they need from you, you give it to them. So what do we see here? That there has to be cooperation amongst the Muslims. We have to become friends of one another, helpers of one another, together striving to attain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. And for this, the bond of friendship, the bond of sisterhood is very important. Because who do you share your struggles with? Who? Your friends, more than your parents even. Isn't that so? You tell your friends what you can't speak about in front of your parents. So if your friend is sharing something with you, then what is necessary that you become her helper in whatever way that you can. So two ways, muhajir or ansar. And basically when a person is doing hijrah or he is becoming an ansari, what is he doing? Sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether it is sacrificing their ego or sacrificing their comfort or whatever. Because you see, with regards to the Ansar, becoming of those who helpers of the religion, many times it happens that when we learn the religion and we start practicing the religion, then we just want to live our comfortable lives. Right? That I should fast in the month of Ramadan and fast every Monday, Thursday, and fast every three days of the month, and you know, give this in charity, go here for this lecture, go here for this class, and I'm enjoying my religion in my home, living a very happy, comfortable life. And then you find out somebody wants to learn the Qur'an. And you're asked, can you please help in some capacity? What capacity? That, let's say, helping run the place, so open up the building and close the building. And you say, no, I can't do it because I'm already doing so much and it's enough for me. But you see, you're helping somebody learn the religion. You understand? Even that requires what? Sacrifice. That requires a lot of sacrifice. You know why? 
Because when you're learning the religion yourself, you're motivated. You have a goal. I have to complete my study of the Qur'an. You have a goal. But when you're helping somebody else learn the Qur'an, it's very, very difficult. You know why? Because you tell yourself, I've done it already. And I might as well live comfortably in my house and my daily routine. Why am I putting myself in so much hardship? To really appreciate the people who come here as your group in charges, as the people whom you don't even know about, who come open the building, who come close the building, who you know look after these lights and these fans and the heating and the air conditioning and the carpet. They're all helpers so that we can study. We should appreciate them for their efforts. So we see here that sacrifice. One is to live the religion at the level of you know, what's comfortable for you. As long as it's comfortable, I'll do it. And the other is that you go a step higher. You're sacrificing either to gain it or to give it. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from us? Sacrifice. Sacrifice in whatever capacity that you can. And when you do that, then you get the description of أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ حَقَّ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً وَرِزْقٌ كَرِيمٌ I just wanted to share like um, my experience at my home about my dad. So my mom, she started learning the Quran. So um, after that, like ma, me, my sister, and both of my brothers, we started learning. And then, so it cost a lot of money, right? But we never noticed um, that my dad never said anything. He just, whenever my mom mentioned that, you know, I wanted to do this, um, I want to like put me in this course. And he's like, okay, fine, go ahead, I'll, I'll pay for it. And then I never actually realized what a sacrifice it was for him. And now that um, our neighbor, she wanted to learn the Quran, she started the Urdu course um, here. But her husband didn't support her, so... She had to leave eventually. So I realized after that how great my dad would is because he's spending on us. He's yes. um, making us, you know, giving us the time and the support to, you know, come yes. and learn this. Yes. So we never think that way. Yes. We don't thank them. We just ignore that, you know, they're not doing it. We take it, it for granted. It. We take it for granted, yeah. exactly. But yeah, my mom's paying the fees. I mean, she has to, obviously. Yeah. I'm her daughter. <laughs> Who else would? But do you realize that the money is coming from somewhere? She could be saving up and buying herself nice shoes and nice bags every other month. But instead she's spending so that you can study the Qur'an. She's facilitating that. Right? So either we become those who are doing the work or we become those who are facilitating the work. وَالَّذِينَ amanu And those people who believe مِن بَعْدُ After Meaning those people who become believers after the time of the companions after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and they migrate. Meaning, they get out of the state of sinfulness to a state of obedience. They migrate, and they strive. Ma'akum, with you. Either it was that they joined the Prophet ﷺ later, or that they became Muslim afterwards, or they struggled in the same cause. What does Allah say? فَأُولَٰئِكَ minkum. So they are from among you. Meaning they will also attain similar levels because of their struggle, because of their striving, because of their hijrah. And we see that there were people who never met the Prophet ﷺ. They wanted to. They became Muslim, but they could never join him because of whatever reason. And they were struggling in their own lives. And the Prophet ﷺ told the companions about them that when you meet this person, ask him to make dua for you. Who was he? Hmm? 
Uwais Al-Qarni. And we see here that it wasn't just the people who came soon after the Prophet ﷺ, but until the Day of Judgment, the one who believes and follows the way of the companions, of unity, coming together, struggling for the religion, living the religion at the level of sacrifice, their level is really high. Once the Prophet ﷺ asked his companions, whose iman do you think is amazing? Amazing. So the companions, they said, the angels. Because I mean, the angels, they are so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So their iman is really amazing. The Prophet said, and why wouldn't the angels believe when they are angels? I mean, they receive direct orders from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are naturally inclined to obedience. So what's so amazing about their iman? So the companions said, okay, the prophets... And the Prophet ﷺ said, and why would their iman be amazing? Because they receive revelation. If they didn't believe, that would be amazing. That would be surprising. So if they believe, that's something expected. So they said, we, our iman is amazing then because we're, I mean, the companions. The Prophet ﷺ said, and why? Because you see the Prophet, you are with the Prophet. Why would your iman be amazing? The Prophet ﷺ said, Amazing is the iman of those people who will come after you. Who will come after you. They will find the book. They will find the book, meaning the Qur'an. And they will read it. And they will, have, they will accept iman. They will believe on the basis of what? The Qur'an. Their iman is amazing. And they will not just believe, they will strive in the way of Allah for the sake of their religion. Living as Ansar, as Muhajireen, years after the Prophet ﷺ, their iman is truly amazing. A'jab. So ask yourself, what level of faith, what level of commitment, how do I live my religion? Is it just because it's a part of my life, because... My parents made this choice, that's why I'm living this religion, or do I actually love the religion myself? So I am going to sacrifice something, either my time, or my money, or my prime years of my life, I will sacrifice. Because you see, this time also that you're sacrificing in order to learn the religion, it's a great sacrifice. Because many times people don't want to. They struggle. Because this is a time when five days a week, you go to school, so that you can have a good career, and two days a week, you just party. You enjoy yourself. Right? But if you are taking up another course on the weekends, doubling your work, cutting out on your fun time, then that is a sacrifice. That is a big struggle. And may Allah reward you for that struggle. And put blessing in that struggle, and make the struggle really meaningful. So, وَالَّذِينَ amanu, Those people who believe... مِنْ بَعْدُ after وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا مَعَكُمْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مِنْكُمْ Then they are also from you. They are also among you. Their rank will be like yours. وَأُلُوا arham And the possessors of the womb. What does it mean? أُلُوا arham Those people who possess a relationship, meaning those who are related with you, because of the connection through the womb, meaning blood relatives. Allah says the blood relatives, بعضهم, some of them, awla, are closer, more entitled to, بعضن, with others. And where is this written? فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ In the book of Allah. 
إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Indeed, Allah is knowing of everything. What does this mean? Awla is from the root letters, وَاوْلَامِيَا Wali friend, awla closer. And it also means one who is more entitled. So the blood relatives are more entitled to one another. What is this referring to? Ibn Abbas anhum he said that the Muhajireen and the Ansar used to inherit from one another. When the bond of uh, brotherhood was established between them, the Muhajireen and the Ansar used to inherit from each other initially. So imagine a person from Makkah, a person from Medina. If the Prophet ﷺ made them brothers, then what happened? If one of them died, the other would, would inherit from him. Who inherits? Relatives. Right? So they would inherit from each other. And he said, until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abrogated that practice with the fixed share of near relatives. Meaning when Surah An-Nisa was revealed, and in that the fixed shares of the relatives were appointed, then that abrogated this ruling. And that is again mentioned over here, that yes, there is the bond of brotherhood between the believers, but remember that family is also something. They also have some rights. Because it happens that when people become very committed to their religion and very enthusiastic, then who do they neglect first and foremost? Their families. There are two extremes. Either people say, my house, my children, I have to teach my children, I have to look after my children, I have to support my family, that's why I don't have time for the religion. I read my Qur'an, I pray my salah, I go to a weekly halaqa and that's sufficient. I can't sacrifice beyond that. And there are others who say that, no, no, you have to sacrifice even if your children are going the other way. Doesn't matter, I'm going to come, I'm going to study the Qur'an, even if I know that my 15-year-old is watching movies after movies at home, talking to friends, going out with people. I don't know what's happening in her life, I have my Qur'an assignment due. She's young, she'll get over it someday. No, there has to be a balance. And where does that balance come from? Where do we get that balance from? From the sunnah, from the way of the Prophet You know, he would be at a battle and behind him, his daughter passed away. We learned that once the Prophet ﷺ was at a battle and his daughter passed away. He didn't stay away from the battle just because his daughter was near death. The Prophet ﷺ was busy with something with the companions. A message was sent that his grandchild was dying. Very sick. The Prophet ﷺ sent words of encouragement and patience to his daughter and he stayed where he was. And again the message was something, please come, please come. And then eventually he came. Was it because he didn't care about his family? No, he cared about his family, definitely. But he also realized the urgency of the need of the Muslim community, of what the religion demanded from him at that time. So there has to be a balance. Where the family is important, the religion is also important. And who can keep this balance? Who can keep it? The one who takes the religion as a personal matter. Because it's just like if you have two kids. If one is sick, will you forget about the other? I don't care if my baby needs a diaper change. My three-year-old daughter is sick and I need to be by her side. And that baby is crying, hungry. Will the mother neglect the baby? What will she do? Look after the sick child and look after the other child as well. Both are important. It's not either this or that. It's both. It is both. Both are important. If you become a mother, you're not exempt from your responsibilities towards your husband. Right? 
if you become a wife, you're still obligated towards your parents. Correct? You still have responsibilities as a neighbor, as a worker, as a student. If you go to work late, they ask you why. And you say, oh, my husband really wanted me to have breakfast with him, so I got a little late. Will they accept it? They'll say, enjoy your breakfast every morning with your husband. You're fired. <laughs> right? So what is necessary? Work is important. Husband is important. So my school studies are important and my Quran studies are important. Recently I got this complaint that many students are not memorizing their lesson because they're saying they have exams. You have exams at school and you have exams here too. Isn't it? You have both. And remember we learned that a believer has to struggle extra. Right? So you have to struggle during the week and you have to struggle on the weekend. Why? Because you want extra reward inshallah. Right? Why are you encouraged to take extracurricular activities? Why? Because the more you do it, the farther you'll go. So likewise, we want to go higher and higher in Jannah. This is why we have to strive even more. And with this message, the surah ends a very, very important message. First of all, sacrifice. And secondly, balance. Both are important, family and deen. Let's listen to the recitation. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٌ إِلَّا تَفْعَلُوهُ تَكُنْ فِتْنَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَفَسَادٌ كَبِيرٌ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آوَوا وَنَصَرُوا وَالَّذِينَ آوَوا وَنَصَرُوا أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ حَقًّا لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةٌ وَرِزْقٌ كَرِيمٌ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْ بَعْدُ وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا مَعَكُمْ فَأُولَئِكَ مِنْ وَأُولُو الْأَرْحَامِ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلَى بِبَعْضٍ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٌ okay, So inshallah, the next surah that we will study is surah Tawbah. And surah Tawbah is one of those surahs for which you really have to understand the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ in order to understand the surah correctly. So I recommend that over the week, if you are able to read through a book of seerah, just the Medinan era, from the time that the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, until basically he passed away. So if you can do that, that would be really good, inshallah. And if I find some good lecture or something... I'll inshallah have it emailed to you. But please do go over it, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.